Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? This is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and CEO here at Modern Pain Care. We make you the complete clinician. Up for another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast, and this one kind of a throwback to some destabilizing discussions both Jared and I have had in our past um, around some of the ways we conceptualized pain um, and what we were doing in the clinic. And uh, before we get into that episode, let's let's check in with our partner. How are you doing there, Jared? Man, I'm doing good this morning. You know, it's the start of a brand new year. It's it's uh, 2022, and we're, we're you're just rolling with all of the things that uh, that comes with. You know, I'm in I'm in management a little bit more these days, so I've been getting together annual reviews for all of my clinic directors to kind of sit down and talk about, hey, what can we do this year to make your clinic a more effective clinic, both from a, you know, of course from a financial business aspect, but from a patient experience aspect, and uh, it's actually pretty cool. I'm working with some of the other regional directors to put together a whole. Um, you know, kind of like not not coursework per se, but a lot of information on the patient experience and how how can we really focus on making our clinics a place for um, really good patient experiences merged with really good high quality care. No, I, th- I th- you know, it's always interesting to kind of zoom out to that kind of 10,000 foot view of kind of where kind of operations are. And I think too often clinicians, I know I was before I really understood I was all about the clinician experience and what am I providing as a clinician to, to excellent care, which is a poor, of course, part of it, but to understand the patient's uh, perspective. You know, we have folks like Jerry Durham out there who are leading the way as far as really keeping in mind what's what's the patient experience from first phone call through the relationship that you maintain with that patient throughout their lifetime. Um, I think it's just some things that we don't purposely consider that are huge that can really be drivers of you know, good metrics in a business. So, uh, good on you to get back in or get into the management stuff, man. I know, um, you've, you still dabble in the clinic a bit, which we'll talk about today. Some of your patients you're dealing with, but the, the management thing can, can be a, a good way to kind of see the big picture of what we do as physical therapists. Cause I think too often we, as clinicians bang on our profession of the employers and all these things. So, um, how's, how's it been on the management thing and balancing that in the clinic? Uh, you know, it's <clears throat> in some ways it's really good. In some ways, it's uh, it would be, you know, I don't I don't want to say easier, but maybe easier to just you know wake up and and show up and and, and treat patients every day and then go home and you know ma- management follows you home and it calls you at at nine o'clock at night and it gives you weird weird emails at you know four o'clock in the morning. There's a lot of things that you have to deal with uh, that aren't as great, but it's really fun to get to be a mentor in both a management and a clinical aspect uh, for, for other therapists and, and have a hand in, you know, kind of making, making multiple clinics run more how I think that a clinic should run in in a perfect world, even though we'll never get there. Yeah. Sounds like we might have another podcast episode too, to what does that clinic look like? What does it run like? But 
uh, before we get into that, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the topic of today's episode: defense versus defect. That was a uh, uh, for those of you who have been around for a bit and, and into the earlier years of maybe social media and communities around physical therapy. Soma Simple was one that Jared and I. I don't know if we met on Soma Simple or interacted on Soma Simple, or uh, but we both had you know decent influence from that. It was a website, just kind of a discussion board forum type website where it was. PT is really pushing forward discussion. That's where I really got into Jason Silvernail's world, got into Rod Henderson's world, Diane Jacobs, Barrett Dorco, John Ware. Gosh, there's probably more that I'm missing, so I apologize if I missed your name. But um, there, this when I came into it, I was just in prime manual therapy mode. And in manual therapy mode, we're really trained, and in school, not just even manual therapy, to kind of consider pain as this defect that we're going to identify objectively with specific mechanical testing to find this defect, um, categorize this defect, treat this defect specifically, and get a specific outcome. <clears throat> I think we realize now that that would be a nice if way, if it would work that way, it would be nice and probably make clinical life a lot easier, but human beings don't necessarily work that way. And, and one of the things that got pushed to me is to look at pain as a defense, not a defect, that we're, we're dealing with a, a human's defense to possibly a mechanical insult, but the defense is much more than just what's going on in the tissue, what's their thoughts, their beliefs, their fears, their, their behaviors around what their body's experiencing, maybe nociceptively. Um, so that kind of influences, obviously, the whole central nervous system's ability to kind of modulate or, or change that input from the, from the body. So... I, it was a hard thing for me to consider just because I was so ingrained in that defect. My hands were getting trained currently at that time. And if you probably, I think you can probably still get on so much stuff. I haven't tried to get on it in a while. I just looked at some of my um, stuff, screenshots and stuff I had from before uh, the other day. That's what stemmed this episode. But um, it, it, it was my posts were probably not, I look back, they're probably not the most easily, I wasn't taking this information well early on it was just too much of a conflict to my to my belief system and and it was a struggle for me but it really was a huge influence probably one of the more influential inf experiences i had as a clinician growing because of where it's people started making sense they started challenging my thinking they started challenging kind of how i was operating and uh really improved how i went about it so what was your how's your experience been with uh, you know the defense versus defect kind of thought process Jared and I know you got a patient right now who you're kind of really working through that kind of thought process with so maybe you can share some of that with folks Yeah first of all <clears throat> on Soma Simple I was that guy that was the lurker I was I was very young at that point and I was kind of scared to speak up I was scared to say anything so I just read a lot of comments, read a lot of uh, posts. And for those of you who don't know, Some Simple was a long form discussion platform, uh, almost like a message board type of setup. There was no pictures. There's none of that. There's no quips. There's no, there's no, uh, you know, memes or anything. It was like, hey, these are complex topics and let's have a really long form discussion about it. So uh, it, it's a little bit different than um, social media or discussion looks on average now, uh, but I would say that that, that platform has probably been dormant for, I don't know, five, six, seven years at this point. Um, so I don't know that we interacted, but I saw comments, you know, I saw names and you didn't always know who everybody was either just because, you know, you had, you had some sort of name that may be your name or it may not be your name that was listed. Uh, so it was an interesting, it was an interesting thing. And I didn't learn who some of the people were until, you know, 
years afterwards. Uh, so it was interesting looking back. But defense versus defect, that was definitely not what I was what I was taught in school. Right. Um, pain was 100 percent a result of some form of defect, whether it was a tissue damage or whether it was a tissue overload or whether it was, a, you know, a postural strain or what, whatever. Right. Pain equals uh, defect. Um, and then when I started being introduced to the concept of pain equals maybe more defense in a lot of cases, and this doesn't mean that pain can't be very heavily tied to some form of tissue-based defect, right? Of course, we know that if you break your leg, it's going to hurt a lot. If you sprain your ankle, it's going to hurt a lot. And that's okay. That's normal. You acutely herniate a disc. It's probably going to hurt a lot, right? Um, So it can be tied to a defect, but it is not always directly tied to a defect. And oftentimes, pain is really maybe more of this defensive type of presentation or defensive type of mechanism. And, you know, we could get into the philosophical nitty gritty discussion on that, but I don't think that we need to. I think that pain as a defensive mechanism on average is a pretty good um, kind of, you know, metaphor or analogy for what pain is. Uh, So I use this a lot with um, my patients. And in particular, Mark mentioned, I, I have a, I have a patient that I'm working with right now, really cool guy, who uh, has had kind of a rough go of it. Um, He is somebody that I would consider, you know, if you were to categorize people or whatever, more on that type A type perspective, a little bit more towards the maybe slightly neurotic perspective of like, man, I've got to I've got to know the details and I've got to think about the details and I'm going to like reflect and I'm going to ruminate on the details a lot type of perspective. I don't know if you would call that type A or not, but he's very... He's very like, you know, consistently um, not not obsessing, but thinking about this stuff a lot. And a lot of that stems from this gentleman had a uh, disc injury or he was having sciatic, you know, type presentation, mild, mild to moderate radiculopathic type presentation five years ago. And he ended up having a microdiscectomy and the surgeon told him, hey, uh, never bend, lift, or twist again. What you don't want to do is blow that disc back out. Um, I just fixed you, and please don't, you know, put yourself back in this place by bend, lifting, and twisting. So then he went to a physical therapist afterwards. Uh, physical therapist uh, just crushed him on core stability type of thing. You know, never, never bend your back, never move your back, never twist your back. Um, and he instructed him to buy Stu McGill's book, The Back Mechanic. Um, so the back mechanic became this guy's Bible for years. And he has done the uh, modified curl up, the side bridge and the bird dog every day of his life for the last five years. He had, he does not miss a day and he log rolls out of bed. Um, He does a full vertical torso upright squat to pick something up off the floor, or he has a grabber. Like one of those, like when you see like, you know, older people that need to pick up something off. He has a grabber at his house that he picks stuff off off the floor because he's very concerned that if he is to just bend over and pick something up, he is going to blow out another disc in his back. And he's going to be back in a place where he has to have surgery and all this sort of stuff. Uh, So that's the background. Um, He was doing some bodyweight squats and... He, he likes to do kind of like high rep body weight workouts and that sort of stuff. He was doing some body weight squats about six months ago, and he tweaked something. He started having all sorts of low back pain. It was radiating into his hip. It was kind of going down his leg. He's freaking out. Um, and when I watched this guy do a squat, 
you talk about perfect quote unquote mechanics. There's no, there's like minimal lumbar movement for, for this guy. So it wasn't that he had bad form or anything like that. Simultaneously, he is working a contract job that he absolutely hates. He detests it. He wants out of it, but he's in six, you know, at that point he was in six, four months of a contract with, uh, with a law firm where he has to do this work that he hates it. Um, he's living in a place where he doesn't have any friends or family. He's living in a place where he doesn't necessarily want to be. And he's going through all this sort of stuff. He's got a lot of psychosocial stressors going on. And, uh, he said he doesn't sleep very well. And, you know, he's very fearful and protective over moving his back on a subconscious level. So when I evaluate this gentleman, um, you know, I try to get him to do lumbar motions, forward bending, side bending, backwards bending, and like very, very, very negligible movement. And he told me straight away, he said, Jared, like you're asking me to bend forward right now. I haven't bent my back forward in years because I was told not to do that. I read the back mechanic, and it says lumbar flexion will destroy your discs. It will cause massive herniations. Like I'm, I'm, I don't want to do that. Like, is that safe for me? Is that okay for me? And, and that's where our discussion started. That he has this hyper, you know, awareness and protection around moving his back. Um, and now let's fast forward a, a, a couple months. I've been working with this guy. He. Uh, can now bend his back some. He can now get up and down off the floor. He can now pick something up off the floor. We've been doing, you know, I've even introduced Jefferson curls and and very light kettlebell swings and get up and down off the floor drills and all of this sort of stuff, right, to start introducing movement to his back. And he consistently, every single session that I see him, he needs reassurance that he is not damaging his back right now. He needs reassurance that what he feels when he bends his back is more of a defense mechanism and not a defect, right? So this is a long story to get to this point that I'm having this conversation every single day with this gentleman and and he needs the reassurance and your patients, they're going to need the reassurance. They're going to need to hear it 50, 60, 70, 100 times that this is safe and this is okay and that what you're feeling, that tightness, that pull, that pressure, that mild discomfort, that's a that's a defense mechanism. And if we push it a little bit far and you get a little bit of a flare up because we have stressed your system in a way that it is not accustomed to, that is a defense mechanism. That is not a defective aspect of your body. And it is really he's just starting to get this. I've been seeing him long enough. We've talked about neuroplasticity. We've talked about, you know, local tissue changes, you know, stiffness and, and lack of strength and lack, you know, changes in motor control and movement patterns and all this sort of stuff. But we've also been able to talk about changes to his brain, anxiety, expectation, kinesophobia, you know, all this fear of movement that, you know, we're rehabbing him from five years of hyperprotection versus just this little tweak that he had six months ago that kind of caused the cascade to, to occur. And, and we've talked about his dissatisfaction with his work, his stress with that, his stress with being isolated from, you know, his friends and family because he lives in, a, in an area where no nobody around, he doesn't know anyone around. And this is defense mechanism. This is defense, defense, defense. He's been protecting this for so long. It's subconscious and it's conscious. This is not defect, but he still has 
discomfort. He still has some pain and, and some soreness and some stiffness when we move, but it is not a defect. So this concept is super front of my mind right now because it is the exact discussion I've been having with this gentleman every single week when I see him. And, and I've seen him once a, once a week for about 10 weeks now. Um, and we're just starting to get to that point where he grasps it. Um, so I say that in particular to remind listeners that people are not going to get this on day one. People are not going to get this on day three. People are not going to get this on day five a lot of the time or even day seven. Sometimes it takes day 10 or day 12 or day 20 before you can really start to help people understand defense versus defect. So um, for fear that I'm just going to talk forever, I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back and kind of see what your thoughts are, Mark. No, no, this is a good case because it it definitely embodies what we're talking about. And uh, I've have, uh, you know, have and have or had some definitively similar patients. And if you ever watch, uh, you know, Peter O'Sullivan stuff, he's probably one of the um, folks that utilizes behavioral experiments. I know him and JP Canaros in their group just released a paper on safety learning and, and different things. Highly recommend you guys read that because it basically if you just keep rolling out the same defect language with those folks, you're going to just keep spiraling into the same, same old, same old where if you can start getting these folks to consider a different thought process. And then also, which I know Jared's doing as far as testing it, having him test this whole, I rigid, I brace, I tense the tar out of my back, and then I try to do things. And then you set up scenarios where this person does it differently. I've had a a person where, oh, same thing, like bed was a procedure, in and out of bed. You know, just simple life movements were so thought and cognitively loaded with this, I got to move this perfect way that when we would have them experiment with, well, what happens if you don't do that? What happens if you, um, you know, exposure-based work and different things like that and and people starting to see that. But if you look even with Peter O'Sullivan, you know, probably one of the more considered, one of the more experts at applying this stuff, his Martin story on YouTube, that thing took a year to really unfold to, to where Martin made some major changes. So if you'll occasionally have the patient where these epiphanies happen, like, oh my God, it makes sense. Maybe they've rode this defect train forever and biomedicine just keeps on trying to fix defects or identify defects and it's just ain't happening. Um, so people are ready to move on, but I'd say the vast majority of people, this is a process. Um, and it, it doesn't need to be something where you slap them on a table three times a week and poke on sore stuff, you know, whether it be with your hands or with needles or with, you know, tools. Cause all that does is reinforce the thought that there's something going on broken. I mean, I think you can still use those things with a narrative of decreasing sensitivity, helping to open up a window for some movement and getting you feeling better. But the patient needs to be driving the, uh, you know, the ship on this thing. They need to be understanding that it's, that's simply a compliment that if once you get off the bed, if you're still moving the same way and you're still not engaged in the things that are valuable to you in life, then we're not providing the things that you need. So, I mean, we could go on and on with the, the defense versus defect stuff, but I really think it's such a hugely important way to conceptualize what you're seeing in the clinic now, because the defense around an acute injury can be different because different people have different thoughts, beliefs, fears, past experiences. The 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 context that they bring into that injury can be very different, or the con- the context they bring in and the context that surrounds them currently around that injury. Um, that becomes why you need to know the unique person that carries the tissue defect. That if there is one there, um, but then also don't go chasing tissue defects when you know the the clinical case doesn't make any sense that there could be something still acutely 
damaged. Like there's, they're long since past tissue healing times. Now we can talk about chronic inflammatory stuff, neuroinflammation <clears throat> and different topics, which we do in our coursework, but too much for this podcast, of course, but um, just a helpful way to start looking at patients. I think it was one of the ways that really helped me help a lot more people in clinic when I started conceptualizing that way and starting to have conversations with people where they could start conceptualizing it that way. Um, what's been your experience? And we'll, we'll probably wrap it up. We're hitting our, our mark here, but uh, any recommendations you have for folks as far as um, how to start really using this concept in their practice, Jared? I mean, uh, w- what you have to do is just try it. Honestly, this is one of those trial by fire things where um, I'm warning you right now, you're you're going to put your foot in your mouth with people. You're going to overload people. You're going to uh, push them more than they are comfortable with going right now when you're trying to figure out how to dial this in. Um, like if you know somebody that that you feel like is pretty good at this, I mean, try to talk through those scenarios with them. Try to talk through your particular patient case with them uh, and, and see if they have some good discussions on maybe where their entry point for education or their entry point for loading or their entry point for experimentation is right now. Um, uh, but if you don't, if you don't have that type of person, it's going to be some trial and error. Uh, you know, it goes a lot better if you find some form of feedback or mentorship on this. You'll probably you'll probably mess up a little bit less and get good at it a little bit faster. Um, but if you don't if you don't have that, you know, you feel like you're on an island. Uh, you're really going to have to do some trial and error and uh, be be super reflective of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, the, the the mentorship and guidance definitely key to to grow to help in that skill develop. And it is one just like you're going to overdose people with loading and exercise. You're going to overdose people with challenges to their schema of how they look at and perceive and behave around their injuries. So you got to, you got to tread in there and see what works and nudge and see where you can make some inroads. And and just like you do with a lot of other conditions, but when we're starting to consider the whole picture of the human, not just, you know, pontificating over facet glides and all these things that are, you know, in the grand scheme for some patients, not really all that important. Um, you start getting into the real stuff that starts defining why they're not back into life and back doing things when you start, you know, understanding that unique person in front of you. If you ever need any help in that, definitely don't hesitate to reach out to Jared and I. Um, we're happy to have conversations with you. We love working with clinicians on incorporating this stuff just because we are tired of seeing those patients who've and we've sent these patients out into the world too. It's of like, don't bend and, <clears throat> you know, use your McGill, McGill three and, and do all these things that at the time was the best thing we thought we were doing. But, you know, obviously for some people that may work for a lot of people that might be a road to a disabling path going forward. So we're going to wrap it up with that part of the podcast. I would love to hear your comments, what you thought of the episode. And if you have any other thoughts on things you'd like to hear us talk about, some things that you struggle with in your caseload, don't hesitate to reach out Jared or Mark at modernpaincare.com and we're happy to have some conversations and talk about on the podcast so we will leave it at that and until next time you guys have a good rest of your day we'll talk to you then this has been another episode of the modern pain podcast with dr mark cartula join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain for more information on the show visit modernpaincare.com also visit the pain masterminds network on facebook for free education and resources this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only it is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.